We have a, a special speaker today. Uh, his name is Dr. John uh, Nimala, and uh, I'm very honored to call him a friend and, uh, and really, uh, though he doesn't know it, a mentor in the faith. I regularly uh, check his uh, website and, uh, and, and consider it as I prepare studies on various portions of the scriptures. Uh, it's a wonderful resource. Uh, it's listed in your bulletin, mol316.org, which stands for Message of Life. Uh, 316, coming from John 316. But Dr. Uh, John Nimala was born and raised in Northern California, but he always called Minnesota his home. Uh, he received a Bachelor of Arts uh, from the University of Minnesota, a double major in economics and geography. He went on to Dallas Seminary and got his THM and a PhD in New Testament literature and exegesis. And I was telling our staff as we were praying this morning, uh, once you think you know something, you've got to talk to this guy because he's going to tell you something you don't know. Uh, he has taught uh, seminary level classes in uh, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic uh, at uh, Chafer Theological Seminary. He's been an elder at churches. He's pastored at churches most recently at Grace Chapel, which is up in Orange, California, uh, a, a friend of ours up there. And most recently, he and his wife, uh, Diane, have made the decision uh, to begin a transition up to Colorado. They're, they've started Message of Life Ministries in 2006, uh, largely evangel evangelistic ministry, where they take those booklets that you have across the country. But now also they're going to be moving up to the Colorado area to become a professor at Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary. And I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about all these things. But a wonderful man, and I know that he, as he opens up the word, he, he, he beckons you to rise up with him. And to not just, uh, you know, uh, one of my professors at Biola, J.P. Moreland, always talked about excellence in Christian thinking and in, in, the, in the mind. Becoming excellent as we read our scriptures, becoming excellent as Christians, excellent thinkers, uh, able to defend our faith. Dr. John, as he preaches today, he is going to ask you to rise up and rise up with him. So let's welcome Dr. John Nimala.
Thank you, everybody. If we can have the slides, uh, please, the next one. You might wonder on this little booklet that we've handed out why it's called the living water. In John chapter 4, Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman at the well, someone who wasn't really at all interested in meeting this Judean. No interest whatsoever. And when he asked her for a drink of water, she said, what? You're a Judean, and you want water from me? Jesus then proceeded to introduce the concept of living water. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, he would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I'd like to point out a couple of things. This passage can easily be analyzed. You notice here on the slide that we have indicated a couple of words in yellow, underlined, the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you. What Jesus is saying here is, if you knew God's gift, and God's gift is life everlasting. And who it is that is speaking to you? Jesus, the giver of everlasting life. But living water within the context, is not everlasting life. Living water is the message of how to get everlasting life by believing in Jesus Christ. If she knew two things, the giver of the gift of God, the gift of God and the giver of the gift of God, then he would tell her, or then she would ask him how to get the giver of the gift of God to give her the gift of God. Got that? Basically, what he's saying is, there's the gift of God, everlasting life, and I'm the giver of the gift of God, and if you ask the giver of the gift of God how to get the gift of God, the giver of the gift of God will tell you how to get the gift of God. And that comes by believing in Jesus Christ. It's an appropriate title for this little booklet that is designed to share the message of everlasting life with a lost and dying world. If we turn to the next slide... My wife and I are the proud owners of Yank Tank. That's what our Australian friends call any full-size American truck. As it's equipped here in this picture, we're able to carry 15,000 of these little booklets with us, which we regularly do across the country. Next slide, please. Here we are having 20,000 living waters loaded up. You know, one day my truck had a conversation with me. And it told me that when it grew up, it wanted to be a Peterbilt. My wife isn't sure that she wants it to grow up. Next slide. Here we are recently, actually earlier this month, coming back with 41,580 living waters. We kind of go through them rather quickly. And the next slide. 
when we sent our initial order of 9,000 living waters to Australia, four of my friends took a picture as they were opening up what I like to call the treasure chest. And they have been distributing them across that end of the world to such a degree that a year later, next slide, we needed to send another shipment, and here we are preparing on Yank Tank 20,232 living waters for Australia. And next slide, here they are after arrival in Australia. And next slide, they've broken open the container. Next slide, they're splitting the cargo three different ways. And they're distributing living waters all over the place. We had an opportunity to go up and minister in an Aboriginal community, next slide, called Luma. And this is Nawaliwanyan Church, the Spring of Water Church. How appropriate. And we had a conference on the Gospel of John. And I love this picture because notice how it illustrates death and life right there. The cross upon which the Lamb of God died to pay the death penalty of sin for the entire human race that he might grant life everlasting to believers. Next slide, please. And here we were as we were ministering with some of the uh, people and uh, had a wonderful time being able to share the simplicity of John's Gospel and Jesus' guarantee of everlasting life to believers. Next slide kind of summarizes what we do here as we are unloading living waters. We give out the living waters booklets freely, free of charge. You might take a look in the inside back cover and you'll notice that they're published by Absolutely Free Incorporated. And I like to tell people, it's just like the gift of everlasting life. Absolutely free. So we're in the business of distributing these widely for free. We also teach believers how to use them in sharing their faith. And we rely upon God for all things, including our financial support. We'd rather make a big point on what it is that we have to share. John's Gospel, designed for the unbeliever. Well, since we're going to consider God's Word, I think it's an appropriate thing for us to bow to the Lord in prayer before we open His Word. Shall we pray? Father, Thank you for making the message of life so clear in John's Gospel. Thank you for giving us a book that you have designed for unbelievers. Give us the courage to stand up in this land where we are not put to death for naming the name of your Son that we might boldly 
share that message of life with a lost and dying world. We thank you for such passages as John 6.47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in Jesus Christ has everlasting life. And we pray that all that is said will be to your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can now turn into your notes because we'll be following along with them. We are going to be looking at what is called the prologue of John's Gospel, the first 18 verses of the book. But what I'd like to do before I actually get into a formal introduction to the message is to introduce a concept. Imagine that I were trying to shoot an arrow right down this aisle. Now, if I were to do so and I were holding the bow and bowstring like this, am I going to shoot it straight down there? Absolutely no way. I have to be looking through that bowstring. But you know what else I have to do? I also have to have the arrow pointing in the right way as well. There are two points that I'm lining up as I shoot that arrow. The bowstring and the point of that arrow. If one or the other, if I don't have them lined up in the right way, it's not going to hit its target. We're going to be mainly talking this morning about the bowstring, the movie trailer, the prologue to the book, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Before we can catch a picture of how it fits in, we also need to know that we need to be looking down at the end of the book as well. And what I have here on the next slide is John chapter 20, verse 31. I will also quote verse 30 as well. If you were to look in your living water, which I would encourage you to do, it's on page 66, and you might say, why didn't you give me a verse reference? I'm used to introducing this book to people who are unbelievers, and they know how to find page 66. They may not know how to find John chapter 20. And so if we look at page 66, notice what, Jesus, what John says here. Jesus actually performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Please note, the word you comes up twice in this passage. To whom is John writing? People who need to believe and people who need life. That means he's writing to unbelievers who lack everlasting life. Now, you know what an unbeliever is, don't you? Let me give you a definition. An unbeliever is a professional at missing the point. They've spent their whole life missing the point. 
And if they have been that practiced at missing the point, we had better be simple in presenting it to them. And furthermore, what better way to do it than to give that message out of the book that God designed for professionals at missing the point? John's Gospel. This book is written for unbelievers to meet them where they are and to confront them with who Jesus is and his guarantee of everlasting life to believers. That's looking at the point of the arrow. But we need to look also at the beginning to make sure that we really are lined up where we want to strike. So next slide. What would attract an unbeliever to read the living water? Imagine yourself to be an unbeliever. And imagine that I've given you a living water. Oh, lo and behold, I did. Each one of you should have two copies. And you might wonder, why two? This is a book not to be kept. You don't want to be bookkeepers. You want to be book givers. So by giving you two books, I'm suggesting be a book giver, not a bookkeeper. This is a book that's designed to be given to others. Okay, let's pretend that we're unbelievers. We have no familiarity at all with this book. What would attract you to want to open its cover and to read it? Suggestions. This is open response time. It's small. God doesn't need something the size of Encyclopedia Britannica. God can make something that's compact enough that you can fit it in your pocket. By the way, let me tell you something. There are three, correct, three incorrect ways to put it in your pocket and one correct way. The correct way has a billboard right there. Can you know you have eternal life? This is a book that's designed for the unbeliever, and lo and behold, you can be a billboard with a provocative question for those that lack life. Okay, God can be concise. It's a small book. Anything else that might attract you to want to look at this book that I've given to you? Okay, it's refreshing. It has a wonderful picture of a waterfall up in Oregon on the North Umpqua River. Very professionally done, a wonderful photograph, refreshing, very attractive. Anything else that might make you interested in looking inside? It has an invitation. The radical message of God's word. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. That's quite an attention grabber. Anything else? Ah, what is living water all about? Provocative title. Anything else? Ah, it doesn't say Bible. 
Yeah, it's uh, put out in a very friendly manner, designed not to be threatening. And did you notice the price tag? It's free. Anything else? Okay, well, that's good. Now, just imagine, what if I tore off the pretty cover? And we've got some notes there at the beginning. They're gone. Notes at the end. And I can take my pen and scratch out some of the notes that appear here and there at the bottoms and pages. Books still have value? Still has value. It might not be quite as attractive to get me to be interested in it. But actually, I'm just going to keep the first page. Although I am going to cheat. I've got a larger version. How much can we learn if we restrict ourselves just to these first two pages? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You see, what we have here is a movie trailer. You know, when you go and you watch a movie... What happens if you show up before the main presentation starts? They have all these clips out of other movies, and it's always fun to watch. I remember I'd go with my boys, have some friends that would go with their boys and watch movies, and as the trailers were coming up, oh, I've got to see that. And it's designed to pull you in. Or even... When I was little, my mother would start reading a book and get right up to the most exciting part. Then, John, I've got to make dinner. Mom, when can we finish the book? Oh, well, John, you can read it. And she built into me a love for books. My wife can tell you I still have books strewn all over the floor because I love my books. So many books that we even have to number them according to Library of Congress that I can find them. But if movie producers and if mothers know how to make a movie trailer to get people interested in reading more, God can do that too. And that is exactly what he's done with John 1, 1 through 18. We're going to play pretend now. I'm going to pretend that I'm an unbeliever. And I know nothing about this one page here that I have in my hand. And I'm going to see what I can figure out just by asking a few questions. So bear with me. Next slide. And as I go through, you can just move, advance the slides according to where we are in the passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
This is kind of an odd start for a book. Wonder what he's talking about. Wonder why word is capitalized. Is word someone's name? Ever heard any of anyone named Word? You know, it's not like Fred or Bob or Harry. You know, beginning with the word. Well, I guess he was pretty old because he was with God and he was God. Hey, wait a moment. That's really strange. If he was with God, how could he be God? This is a very perplexing book. What in the world is it talking about? He was in the beginning with God. Okay, well, it already said that he was in the beginning and he was with God. He already said that. Okay, well, all things were made through him. And apart from him, not one thing was made that has been made. Well, I guess he must be old, if that's the case. As old as the heavens. As old as the sky. Apart from him, not one thing has been made that has been made. This is certainly an esoteric little book. In him was life. Okay, so he's alive. Well, he's a he. He's a being, I guess, since word seems to be a name. It's with God and he was God. I guess it makes sense that he would have life. And the life was the light of men. He just seems to move on and move on to new things here. Life, word guy was with God, word guy was God, word guy made everything, word guy was life, word guy was light for men. I don't know. If I read through this whole book, this, if it keeps going like this, this is just going to get complicated and more and more and more complicated. Now, let's see if he makes some sense here. And the light shines in the darkness. Well, I guess that's what light does. Yet the darkness did not grasp it. Wait a moment. That doesn't sound right. Normally, light just overpowers darkness, and you know, the darkness disappears because you've got light there. But wait a moment. If word was person, a God kind of person, or maybe a with God kind of, whatever he means by that, Maybe darkness isn't just darkness because light wasn't just light. Light was that life guy who was in the beginning with God guy who was God who made everything. So if light is a person, maybe darkness is too. Yes. Not grasping it could be didn't understand it. Well, I guess that makes sense. I'm in the dark. I don't know anything about word guy, life guy, light guy, who was in the beginning with God, who uh, made everything that has been made and not one thing has been made that he didn't make. Never heard about that, so I guess I'm in the dark. 
Okay. A man appeared sent from God. Okay, but God was word guy. And word guy was also with God. Word guy sent, it looks like, a man whose name was Sean. Well, that's my name. I don't think I was sent by him. But it says here at the top of this page, the gospel according to St. John. I wonder who St. John is. I wonder if St. John is this one that word guy sent. But I guess there are a lot of people named John, so maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was someone else named John. He came to give testimony, to testify about the light. Okay, why did he come? Okay, God sent him. So God sent him to testify, to testify about the light. Sounds like a courtroom here. So that all might believe through him. It seems like word guy doesn't want everyone to be in the dark like I am. Because he is giving testimony about the light so all might believe through him. But he doesn't say what he wants them to believe. This book certainly is not giving away all its secrets right away. Okay. He was not the light. Okay, it's not saying the word guy wasn't the light because the word guy was said to be the light of men. Okay, John wasn't the light. But John came to testify about the light. He already said that. He just said he came to give testimony to testify about the light. He certainly isn't opposed to repeating himself. That was the true light which gives light to everyone. But I'm still in the dark. Hey, but wait a moment. Maybe word guy has sent John to testify so that people wouldn't be in the dark because he wanted everyone to believe. So even though everyone's in the dark, it kind of sounds like word guy who was with God, who was God, who apart from him not one thing has been made that has been made, sent John so that he could testify so that all might come to believe, so that all would be in the light instead of in the dark, and they'd grasp the light, they'd understand him. Okay, you know, it's funny, but this book is starting to make a little bit of sense. That was the true light which gives light to everyone who comes into the world. He was in the world. So, word guy who was with God and who was God, who made everything, was in the world. And the world was made through him. It already said that. It said that not one thing has been made that, except that he made it. He's repeating himself. He says it all over again. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's got to be sad. That is just really sad. 
He's the one who made everything. He made the world and he was there and the world didn't know him. But he was in the dark. How sad. He came to his own. When it says that he came to his own and his own people did not accept him, are his own, are his own people the whole world or is it a smaller group in the world? I guess he might tell me later, but right now I don't know. How sad though. Sounds like everybody is just rejecting him. Either they didn't know about him, because apparently they didn't hear what John had to testify about him. And they didn't know him. They didn't accept him. Even though he wanted for everyone to believe. And he even sent John to tell about him. As well as it said that he was in the world. And he even came to his own. wonder when that happened. I don't see a copyright date anywhere on this but to as many as did accept him, hey, wait a moment. That means that some in the world, and some even maybe of his own people, did accept him. But as many as did accept him, he gave the right to be God's children to those who believe in his name. Now that is really puzzling. You have people who believed, and that's what John was sent to do. John was sent by God, I guess by word guy, to testify so that all might believe. And now it says that as many as believed in his name... He gave the right to be God's children. But wait a moment. Didn't they already have parents? Weren't they already born and have a father and a mother? How can a person who has a father and a mother then at some point in his life when he believes become the child of someone else? Child of God. You know, this is talking about someone, I, I hesitate to say it, it's just such an odd idea. It's talking about being born again. What an odd idea. They already had a father, already had a mother, they were already born, and then they become God's children. Born again? What an odd idea. But the people who became born again, who became God's children, were those who believed in his name. But what's his name? Is his name Word Guy or With God Guy or God Guy or uh, apart from him, nothing was made Guy except that he made it? Or Life Guy or Light Guy or what's his name? How can I believe in his name if I don't even know what his name is? This is one puzzling little book. 
Okay. But to as many as did accept him, he gave the right to be God's children to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, I guess bloodlines, genealogy, I guess, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, but of God's will. Okay, you know, that's odd, but it is making sense. They would clearly be born of God's will if word guy who was with God and who was God made it so that if a, if a person believed that they became God's children, that's God making it so that someone can become his child. So that would mean someone became a child of God because it was God's will to allow that to happen. So I guess it makes sense that being born again would be God's will rather than the will of man or coming about through a bloodline or being the will of the flesh. Okay, well, that, in an odd sort of way, that makes sense. And the word... Okay, now, Word was that one who was with God in the very beginning and was God. Word guy became flesh. Okay, I thought he was way out there. He was God. But now he became flesh. But he already said that too. Because they're in... The tenth paragraph, it said, he was in the world. I guess it means he was in the world in the flesh. Sounds like God became man. This is certainly a deep little book. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. I wonder if I could Google him. Wonder what his cell phone number is. But, but wait a moment. You know, I, I don't even know what the copyright is on this. I don't know how long ago he lived here or if he's still living on earth right now. But at the time that the guy wrote this book, he said that he lived among us. Now, wait a moment. It said it was the gospel according to St. John. So St. John, wherever he lives... He knows something about God who was with God, who made everything, who came into the world. And even though he made the world, the world didn't know him. And he came to his own, and his own didn't accept him. But I guess some people did, because as many as did, they became God's children. Okay, so he lived among John and I guess some other people. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the Father's only begotten. Oh, the lights are coming up. Hey, you know, I'm not in the dark quite so much as I was when I started this. It's starting to make a little bit of sense. Because he was with God. Because look at it. 
glory as of the Father's only begotten. So the Word looks like He's God's Son. So there must be God who's the Father and God who's the Son. Never thought of that, but I guess that would make sense. If the Word was God's Son and the Word was with God, with God the Father, He'd still be God. I mean, I have children. My children are just as much human as I am. If God has a son, wouldn't his son be God just as much as he is? So I guess it makes sense. Word guy was with God. He was with God the Father. And word guy was God. He was God the Son. And he was in the very beginning with God. So I guess this isn't a normal kind of father and son relationship. Because he was right there at the very beginning. It wasn't that God the Father came first and then he came after. Like I said, this is kind of an esoteric book, but it's, it's starting to make a little bit of sense. And it was full of grace and truth. You know, I think that's true. I think it is. Because he said that he was in the world... And the world was made through him. That's a gracious thing for him to make the world. Yet the world did not know him. You know, if I were God, you know what I would have done? I would have just wiped them all out. And he came to his own, and his own people didn't accept him. But he was full of grace and truth. So he sent that man named John... And he also, I guess, sensed John to write this book. He sent John to testify about him so that all might believe and all might become God's children. And he had John, whoever he is, to write this book so that people wouldn't be in the dark, but that they could become God's children. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Well, I guess he was before him. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God, and he was God's son as well, and he also is the one who made everything, and not one thing has been made except that he made it. So, yeah, I guess he is before John. But that means that John was testifying of him not only as God, but as word guy came into the world. And from his fullness we have all received, yes, grace upon grace. You know... He's a lot different than I would be if I were God. I would have just wiped everyone out. But he doesn't want people to be in the dark. For the law was given through Moses, whoever Moses is. Grace and truth came through, hey, you know, that looks like someone's name. Jesus Christ. You know, earlier it said he gave the right to be God's children to those who believed in his name. I bet this is his name. Word guy is Jesus Christ. 
I wonder if it would make sense if we plugged that in. Here in the thing, but I'll get through the next verse and then I'll see if that works. No one has ever seen God. But wait a moment. John saw a word guy who's Jesus Christ. But that was God who also became man. I guess John is John is saying that you could see Jesus Christ as a man, even though he was God, but you couldn't see the God part of him. And nobody's ever seen God who's the Father. They've seen Jesus Christ, who somehow is God and men. But they've seen the man part. But the only begotten Son... Oh, okay, yeah, this is making it that clear. No one has ever seen God the Father. The only begotten Son, that is Jesus Christ, who is nearest to the Father's, that is God who is the Father's heart, He has made the Father known. Now you notice, I didn't go anywhere except these 18 verses. And all I did was ask questions. But this passage is designed to unfold itself and to introduce the book. Now, if we turn to the next slide and we work our way through the passage in this way, we can say that, yes, it makes sense. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus. And apart from him, Jesus, not one thing has been made that has been made. In him, Jesus, was life. It makes sense, doesn't it, if we just go through the passage like that. You know what our problem is as Christians? When we talk to someone about John's Gospel, we don't realize that this book is made to unfold itself. And you know what we do? We say, in the beginning was the Word. Now that's Jesus! And as we do that, and we keep giving away all the answers, instead of making the person ask and answer a few questions, we take away the suspense. And you know what happens when we take away the suspense on this book? We finish our conversation and the person folds the book closed Well, that was interesting, but I sure couldn't figure it out on my own. I'd never in a million years figure out that the Word was Jesus Christ if I didn't have the answer man right here with me. And since I don't have the answer man, this is a closed book. I'll put it away. It has a nice pretty picture, but I can't figure it out. Let me tell you something, though. God has given us 
this book for unbelievers. He's designed it for the unbeliever. He's designed it so that this book will unfold itself. Verses 1 through 18 do not prove the truth of this book, but they introduce it. And the way that this book's introduction lines up with the purpose statement, that purpose statement said, These signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing this, you may have life in his name. Let me summarize it. The purpose statement says, The signs are designed to prove that Jesus is the life-giving Son of the Messianic Son of God who gives life to believers. And when we looked at the prologue, the first 18 verses, they were designed to prove, to establish the same thing, to introduce the same concept. Jesus is the life giving Messianic Son of God who gives everlasting life to believers. Let me tell a couple of quick stories about how we've had opportunities to share this book. There's a group of nuns in Ireland, and they were ordering these by the 10,000. And the publisher had no clue as to why they were ordering so many. And they got a letter back from the head nun saying that it was elegant English and they couldn't think of any better way to teach children to read than to use God's Word. Can you imagine how many of those nuns and how many of those children were confronted with Jesus' promise of everlasting life? They have no staples in them, so they can be used in prisons. And one of these, a man fished out a toilet in a prison. He let it dry out, and it was his most prized possession, and it was one of the few things that he had to read. When the publisher found out about it, they made sure to get him some new copies. Had a friend that brought his car in to be repaired, and he left three of these on the back seat. When he went in to pay his invoice, paper clip to the invoice was a living water, and the man asked, May I have this? And they were able to have a wonderful conversation about Jesus Christ and the guarantee of everlasting life that he gives to believers. Had a friend that uh, wrapped one of these up and gave it to his barber right before Christmas. And the uh, barber said, what's this? He said, it's your Christmas gift. Well, what is it? It's a book. What's the book about? It's about the Forever Club. I'd love for you to be part of it. We have many opportunities to acquaint people with this. I have a friend who talked with someone when he was working in the man's house. And the man asked him, did you see the picture that I took? Actually, two pictures of a rainbow stretching out over the ocean. My friend said, 
Did you know that in the Bible it talks about God's promise of the rainbow, how he was not ever going to destroy the world again by a flood? They said, does that really say that in the Bible? So I said, well, I didn't bring my Bible with me. Could you get your Bible? So I went digging around, finally located the Bible, brought it there. He was able to read the passage, and he said, the same God that made the rainbow promise also gives us the Gospel of John to tell us how to have everlasting life. And as he was working in that man's house, the man was sitting there intently reading John's Gospel. This is as simple as being able to ask someone, may I give you a gift? Or if you're on an airplane flight, to write a note as you open it up to say, Thank you for helping me to fly through the heavens. It is my desire that this book will help you get even higher. We have all sorts of ways to get people to take a look inside this book. God has designed it for them. Got many other stories, but we'll draw it to a close at this point. The idea here is let's encourage people to look at this because God's word, as Isaiah 55 tells us, does not return to him void without accomplishing what he has sent it to do. John's gospel is designed to acquaint those who lack life with Jesus Christ, who guarantees everlasting life to believers. John 5.24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give for us to look into the life-giving word. And we pray that you would give us boldness to share this with friends and family and even strangers in a lost and dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.